Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, is Hi, Em. Vanderpump is firing on all cylinders this season. They are having another golden age of Vanderpump rules, and it's like they did it once, which was amazing, and they're fucking doing it again. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say it in this current moment. I don't know if you guys agree. I think Vanderpump is out doing pretty much all of the Housewives on air at the moment. Yeah. I think it's Vanderpump and Miami are my two most like excited to watch. Okay. We will get into all of that, but we would be remiss to not start off this podcast with the announcement that Drew Sedora and Ralph Pittman are officially getting divorced. Thank God, honestly. Good for Drew. Wait, we first have to break down how this happened because even the announcement was as chaotic and seemingly toxic as their relationship has been. First, 11 a.m. on Wednesday, People drops an article. Houses of Atlanta star Drew Sedora's husband, Ralph Pittman, files for divorce after nearly nine years of marriage. It then comes out that Drew actually filed 61 minutes before he filed. This is from TMZ. We now have a clearer picture of how nasty and petty this divorce is going to be. Turns out Drew actually filed for divorce before Ralph, 61 minutes before him. TMZ obtained her divorce petition, and the Gwinnett Company court stamped it as received on February 27th at 1.10 p.m. Meanwhile, Ralph's documents were stamped at 2.11 p.m. that same day. Interestingly, she lists their separation date as February 23rd, while he says it was February 19th. One more thing, both parties say the marriage is, quote, irretrievably broken, and that's why they're filing for divorce. However, Drew also says she, quote, reserves the rights to add additional ground for divorce if they can't reach an amicable statement. And then 
There was an amended divorce complaint. This was also obtained by TMZ. Drew says she simply can't take Ralph's, quote, continued blatant disrespect and mental abuse any longer. And, you know, in it, she goes on to accuse him of being a serial cheater. She also said that he had recently gotten physical with her, saying that last month he grabbed the phone out of her hand, causing her to fall to the floor. She says that he yelled at her, saying that he pays a cell phone bill, so the phone belongs to him. She also then says that they did try counseling. It didn't work out. And that actually, in one of their recent sessions when they left, he said to her, you know what, just give me a heads up before you file for divorce and that no matter what happens, I'll let you file first, which obviously, as we know, would not have been the case. So I am just so happy that she is getting out of this marriage. We have been wanting her to leave this man from, I think, his second episode. Honestly, probably his first. I mean, everything about this, I'm so happy that we're never going to have to see him again because he's just the absolute worst, like bottom of the barrel. But also, like you said before, The way that this went down is an exact sort of analogy for their entire relationship where it's like petty fighting, drama. This was going down in real time where we're finding out all the bits and pieces of information that they literally were racing each other to the courthouse to see who could get it first. I mean, God, I just hope that it's over soon and that she can continue on with her life without him. It's going to be a nasty battle. Like, I think that what she's gearing up for here is going to be really tough, but sending her all of the support and strength in the world because she's dealing with a real asshole here. I know we've said it before, but he's in Michael Darby territory. Even worse, maybe. Yeah, I think that he is worse. So just sending her a lot of love and to all of us, there will be no more Ralph on our screens. And for that, I'm thankful. Okay, so we'll do Vanderpump, Miami, Summer House, Potomac, Jersey. Yes. Yeah, let's get into it. I actually wanted to start out our Vanderpump section with a DM we got last week from a listener who I think just views the show a little bit differently than we do, which I think is really important because as I said, you watch some of these shows, you think it's so clear, and then people really have completely conflicting opinions. And I want to read that so that we can react to it. I think it's important because you know not everyone sees it the same way. So uh, someone said, it was hard to listen to your take on the Katie-Sheena debacle this week. Sheena doesn't owe Katie anything at all. Katie has been absolutely fucking horrible to her for 95% of VPR. Same with Raquel. Katie is the one who must have a delusional sense of self to think that she has provided either of them with any kind of friendship or loyalty that would give her the entitlement to be owed any of that in return in this situation. If her and Schwartz have made some type of agreement between themselves and how they will conduct themselves, he and he alone is the only one who would owe Katie any type of explanation, and any other reaction on Katie's part is displaced emotions. It's funny because I think we were really like firm in that stance last week, but now when I hear you read this DM, I sort of am beginning to feel that way a little bit of like, yeah, they don't owe Katie anything. I think we feel like there's such a tight-knit small friend group, but really they're just the cast of the show. Like the people who are in the cast of the show aren't necessarily a friend group. Like there's a lot of other players involved and also like a lot of mixed relationships. Obviously I don't think it was the right thing to do. Like if you're going to consider Katie's feelings at all, but even Raquel on Watch Robbins Live, and she's been continued to say this, she doesn't feel any sort of relationship with Katie before or after anything with Schwartz. So Why is she going to hold back? And like we said last week too, clearly she has a huge crush on Schwartz and that's more important to her than any tiny, you know, little friendship she had with Katie that she's not trying to continue on with. 
Yeah, I guess I'm just reflecting on all of this because I fully agree that the majority of Katie's anger should be targeted at Schwartz, not Raquel. He's the one that she had the agreement with. Raquel technically doesn't owe her anything. So I'm fully aligned on that. And I also think, yeah, she hasn't been great to them in the past. Sheena or Raquel, technically, do they owe her these overwhelming declarations of loyalty? No. It's not even that, though. It's not even like who Katie is allowed to be mad at or technically what Raquel's allowed to do. I just think that it's really bold for anyone to say that, like, yeah, Katie should just be unbothered by this or that Raquel's not doing anything wrong. Yes, in the scheme of it, if we're putting this up in like a court of law, Raquel's not the one that had any sort of a verbal agreement with Katie in the way that Schwartz did. But still, like, it's not the coolest thing to do. Like, think about how bothered she is by James and his new relationship being so publicly in her face after their breakup. Katie and Tom were married. They've been together for 12 years. I, I just think it's fair that Katie's allowed to be pissed, not necessarily pissed at Raquel more than Schwartz or like Raquel is doing anything so terrible, but of course she's going to feel some type of way. I guess if you're Katie and you're in this super vulnerable place and you put out like a rule or an ask to people, you sort of automatically assume that they're going to follow it. So the fact that Raquel didn't and obviously that Schwartz didn't, that's a whole other story. But the fact that Raquel is sort of like, no, I don't want to follow your rule is like a whoa in the face. Like a little bit like how Lala put the boundaries with Randall and Schwartz just completely – I guess Schwartz doesn't really like having rules set or he wants to rebel against them. But I I think – just Katie's assumption would be like, of course, everyone's going to respect my boundary. And that's just not the reality here. I think the thing that I'm having a hard time processing is like, if this situation was being described to me in the way that it went down and I didn't fully understand the players, I would assume that Raquel and Katie really had absolutely zero relationship, which I know they're not close, but I would think that like they were on very bad terms. So what does Raquel owe to Katie? I think what I'm having such a hard time wrapping my head around is like, They're sitting, just the three of them, talking about this girl's trip they're going on, Katie, Ariana, and Raquel. And Raquel is saying to Katie, yeah, I asked Schwartz if he wanted to make out. Like, it's it's such a bizarre thing to watch because you don't typically see it go down in this way. Typically, you see this happen when the people are enemies or they have no relationship and they feel that they owe them nothing. So it's <laughs> it's like so interesting that you have this relationship where, yes, they're not very close, but she still feels as though she needs to confess the fact that she was being flirtatious with Schwartz. Like, it's so strange. It's such a weird dynamic. I'm not saying that I believe this, but I think what I'm seeing is that They, everyone is treating Raquel as though she's just like not operating on the same level as them, like that she's stupid and that she could be so easily manipulated. Like I knew Sheena had to put that idea in her head and like I knew she couldn't come up with this on her own. Like no one's that diabolical. Like Katie literally blaming Sheena for putting it in Raquel's head. Raquel is a grown ass woman. Like Maybe what she's doing isn't right, but at least give her the respect that she's going to make her own decisions. Yeah, maybe Sheena planted the seed, but she's not a little robot. She's not Ratatouille on her head controlling like (laughs) every one of Raquel's moves. You know, it's like I think Katie really just wants to blame Sheena and she's mad at Sheena for going about it in this way. But at the end of the day, both Schwartz and Raquel are their own people who are going to do what they want to do. And you can't give Sheena that much credit. No, a thousand percent. That's why the entire thing is actually like pretty offensive to Raquel. The way that everyone's reacting to it is though like she's completely removed from the situation because it was entirely Sheena. But Raquel herself is the one that's admitting that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. 
it's so bizarre. I mean, didn't didn't you think that that dinner was so strange? Yeah, I mean, anytime Katie and Raquel have been sitting down for a meal, it's been just her telling Katie how much she has a crush on Schwartz. And it's like, at least she's honest. Like, I think she doesn't like to hold on to these secrets. And like, it was definitely smarter of her to come right out and say, yeah, I asked him to hook up. But like, what the fuck is Katie supposed to say to that? That's what I'm saying. But you saw in the moment Katie's first reaction is to say, wait, why would you do that? And then immediately it goes into Sheena territory. Like, I just, it, the, the whole thing really took me out. By the way, we didn't even get into we're kind of going in reverse order here when they're at Sandoval's show and Raquel comes up to him asking if he wants to make out and you see he turns around to see if they're still filming like that is content no I was obsessed with that whole moment because like we got to give Raquel credit here she has balls like she is not afraid of anyone really and she's doing what she wants to do she went right up to him want to make out pretty shameless, like knew other people were around. And honestly, you can see how much she really has a crush on him and is interested in the idea. And also Schwartz's response of like how badly he kind of wants to, but is still considerate of Katie and also, you know, his little self-deprecating, like, I don't think I'm good enough for you. Like you're so beautiful. It would be such an honor. Uh, when yeah, he turned bullshit. around. Yeah. yeah. But when he turned around and it's like, wait, are we still filming? And like sees the camera. I died. I thought that was so good. I saw a lot of people thinking that him saying that or like turning around to check if the cameras were there is almost proof that they had been hooking up. But I don't think that's the case at all. No, I don't either. I think maybe between that night and when they have dinner and Raquel says she asked him to hook up, maybe something has happened or maybe there was more flirtation. But I genuinely think that that was a real reaction and Schwartz like wanted to, you know, make sure he's so new to this and see what kind of boundaries and who was watching? And he's still very careful walking on eggshells. You saw, though, the second that happened, just in those 45 seconds, it was a matter of time because he he wanted it so badly. And the only thing that was stopping him was the restraint for feeling as though he had this agreement with Katie. And the desire was so clearly going to trump the restraint. Right. Like Katie watching that isn't even going to feel better because it's not like he's like, no, sorry. Like, I don't want to. He's like, fuck, I really want to. But Katie, you know, I want to be sensitive to her. And like, he's definitely doing the right thing. I'm not saying he owes her anything, but I just know Katie watching that is going to be like, oh, so you want to. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. It's like I, I read that DM and I understand. I, I do understand that perspective. I just think if you are in a friend group, Raquel had been around them while she was with James and they were a married couple for years and years and years. It, it's just pretty ballsy. I don't know. I, I'm trying to put myself in that situation and I can't imagine it on either end. Like I can't, I just, could you imagine being Raquel in that situation? Even if you have that crush, like, can't you just wait a little? I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I think she just really wanted to go for it. And also she really not just doesn't care about Katie, actually just doesn't like her. So what has she got to lose? Wait, hold on. I have to read something. TMZ. Real Housewives of Potomac, Michael Darby suing Candace Dillard Bassett. Your oral sex BS claims are BS. Oh my God. <laughs> Real Housewives of Potomac star Michael Darby is taking Candace Dillard Bassett to court for defamation after she claimed he offered up cash to have sexual relations with another man. Oh God. That is so messy. Oh, my God. He wants $2 million in damages to make things right. 
Oh, please. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, my God. Okay, sorry for that emergency interruption. (laughs) No, no, I appreciate that. That's why we have TMZ notifications for a reason. Exactly. But, okay, sorry. So, so much here with Vanderpump. Do you want to get into the James whole saga? Yeah, like, with Allie, I mean, I do understand like Raquel coming to her with that because I think she was really hurt and I do think Raquel is really a good person like I I know she does care about James and probably wanted to get a little bit of a rise out of him but I also think there was a part of her that wanted to make sure that whoever he was dating now knew these things it wasn't making some of the same mistakes that she did like probably what she wishes somebody else would have done for her when she got in her relationship with James yeah I mean I am just sitting here like thinking to myself what are you guys? You are beautiful women. What the fuck are you doing? Even spending a moment of mental energy on James Kennedy. I guess I just struggle to understand what is appealing about him as a partner. You know, like I find him to be an absolutely unbelievable reality TV character, but a pretty unbearable potential partner. It's kind of funny because up until really this episode, I viewed James and Allie's relationship as really good. Like I thought everything was just rainbows and butterflies. I mean, I didn't think that was true, but that was sort of the way that it was being presented to us was that they really had no issues. He was changed and he was in love with her. This was the love of his life. And this week we sort of saw all the cracks come to the surface, which I I assumed were there, but we hadn't really seen up until this point. So it was, you know, them fighting, them talking about the Lala thing, the leaving the club. Like there were definitely things that, I don't know, we just hadn't seen before. And I think it was a way more real depiction of their relationship that James has been painting as like so perfect, carefree, like nothing he's ever been in before. Well, but the other thing is that he was really putting on that image, I think, and similar to kind of what Lisa said, as a way to distract from the fact that he was hurt by the Raquel breakup. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being hurt by the Raquel breakup. They were together for, what, five years? They were engaged. It was weirder when he wasn't hurt by it. That's what I'm saying. And so, like, it's... it. You can see right through him, you know, like, and I wish someone could sit him down. That's why I was happy that Lisa said, like, it's okay to not be okay. Whereas he thinks that in order to get a leg up on the situation, in order to exert his masculinity and dominance, that he has to immediately jump into a relationship. And not only that, show that it's so perfect and it's so leaps and bounds better than anything he could have had previously. We're like, that's just not a realistic way to handle things. Like, that's not how emotions work when these situations are involved. But he has such a hard time being vulnerable and like showing that he isn't doing great. And there's so much power for anyone, not just for men, for anyone in being able to show that like, yeah, you're hurting a little and that's just a human reaction. Yeah, no, I mean, this was sort of what we'd been waiting for. I knew it wasn't going to last forever. The Jesse's girl, Schwartz's mom rendition had me on the fucking floor. Um, That was the funniest fucking thing. Sandoval, I feel, has been so serious this season, like business and the band. And like, we haven't seen like the funny side of him that has always been there. And this, I was like, yep, that's it. That's what I wanted. I was in heaven watching that scene. And I was thinking to myself, you know, we constantly ask this question, like, why does Schwartz get a pass? And the answer is, you know, he's just this lovable kind of puppy dog guy that somehow his wrongdoings get really glazed over. And I'm watching this and I'm like, this is why, because they're both just so fun. And I'm not saying that it's right, but it's how it happens. Like they have such a lighthearted, fun energy that I do think it's contagious and it's a little bit intoxicating and almost like addicting. So I really do think that that is part of the reason that he gets such a pass because he's just so goddamn fun. 
No, they're so fun to be around. I mean, they are the guys you want at your party for sure. I saw someone tweet something that was like, you know, it took me, you know, X amount of seasons, but I finally get it. I finally understand why people think Schwartz is hot. And it was a screen grab from the scene where it's him, Sandoval, and Sheena at his apartment. And I kind of had that similar moment because you've always found him to be really good looking. I think that I wasn't so much on that page. And then I was watching this episode. I was like, yeah, he's kind of hot. Oh my God. I've had like the biggest crush on him since day one. Like I so get it. Yeah. It's just interesting because I wouldn't typically think of him as your type. What? I think he's like epitome of my type. You do? Yeah. Just I, physically. Just physically. Yeah. I don't know. He he was looking good this episode. You're telling me. <laughs> Wait, can I tell you another little Easter egg I loved from this episode? When they flash to Lala being homesick and she's watching old Real Housewives of Beverly Hills rerun and it's playing like Kyle's old tagline. I was like, hmm, interesting edit there, Bravo. And then what about the preview to next week with Oliver? Oh, my God. That's some shit. That's going to be good. Also, as a side, I know this wasn't meant to be funny, but when Sheena and Sandoval are at Schwartz's and Sheena's really upset, kind of recounting her interaction with Katie, and she says, like, you know, and she called me a troll. And I said, call me anything else. Call me a bitch, but don't call me a troll. I was just thinking, like, it's really interesting the things that hit at people, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, in other cities, it's a liar or a bad friend or a mother, like, that get people, you know, like, their soft spot. And Sheena's being a troll is just so funny and on brand. It killed me. But also, like, she's being a little bit of a troll. Like, you know, I, I here's the thing. I agree. I genuinely do believe that part of her wanting to have Raquel on her podcast, you know, is to empower her and is to share her story. And I think that that's true. But also, like, Sheena wants the numbers. She wants the clicks. And I don't know why that has become, you know, like a hot take. It's It's just so clearly the truth. I, I know. I agree with you. I saw a tweet that said, I meant to send this to you. Imagine just getting divorced and having Sheena descend upon your apartment with podcast gear to discuss it. <laughs> Honestly, Drew Sidora, I would love to see you on shenanigans. Literally lock your doors because Sheena's about to come knocking with <laughs> headphones on a microphone. Yeah, but if you're trying to drag her off, I'm here for it. By the way, True. Sheena, that is where we want your investigative journalism. Let, let's talk about Ralph Pittman. Let's take, sh- take your yeah. Katie Couric ass over there. Yes. <laughs> So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics Mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. 
That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Getting into Miami, I just need everyone to know that Emma offline said to me, Marina Hochstein is on my shit list. <laughs> she is. I felt so I feel so betrayed by her, you know? I know. Oh, it's so upsetting to watch. And I knew this was gonna happen. I knew it was only a matter of time. You know, it's it's his mother, of course. There's potentially maybe some financial incentive there. Who knows? I know she wants to have full access to the grandchildren, but do not look Lisa Hochstein dead in her eyes and tell her that Lenny told you the DMs were innocent, so you got to believe him. Get the fuck out of here. I just wish Marina, instead of trying to justify all of these things with the weakest arguments ever, like that make her look so bad and that she's been brainwashed by Lenny, which I believe she has been, had just said to Lisa, listen, you know, I love you. You're the mother of my grandchildren. You always will be. But Lenny is my son. And I have to go with him because he's my son and I love him. And also, you know, he supports us and there's a lot of other factors that go into this. So it makes me, it makes it really hard for me to take your side. And that's just the reality of the situation. But I have a lot of respect for you and I know what he did to you was not right. Like that, at least we would have been like, yeah, okay, fine. It's shitty that she's going to take his side, but at least we understand it. But her trying to individually justify all of these little actions of her going out of town, well, why, you shouldn't leave him alone, or that the DMs were innocent, like, that is just making her look so bad. And not that Marina's necessarily, like, trying to cater to the housewife's audience and adjust her image that way, but still, it's just pretty lame. Yeah, I felt kind of like, you know, the Tyra meme of, like, I was rooting for you. We were all fucking rooting for you. And I agree. We, we didn't expect her to ever, you know, eternally turn on Lenny. Yes, she was lending Lisa support in that moment. That was very important, but we knew the day was going to come. It's just what a way to go down. I fully agree with you. I would have respected it so much more if she was just more straight up in it. Yeah. And also this episode ending with Lisa and Lenny having a full-on fight on the phone, Lisa calling him mid-confessional filming to confront him about an article that he put out about her flirting with guys at their Halloween party was... I mean, the cherry on top of a perfect season. Only for him to hit her with, you know, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, my God. Getting into the rest of the episode, though, because a lot went down here. I mean, every single person was delivering. I really want to talk about Gertie's party and the Adriana-Alexia Marisol situation. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? You can go first. I guess my overwhelming opinion is like, yeah, I totally agree. Adriana fucked up in a serious way, but this is a woman who is, I believe, sincerely sorry. And even if you're not entirely ready to accept her apology, and even if you don't want to reimmerse yourself in the friendship, 
there could be a little bit more grace given from Alexia and Marisol in this moment than they're giving. And I I say this as like a massive fan of both of them, but I kind of feel as though they're enjoying Adriana coming in with her tail between her legs kind of thing and not necessarily prolonging it for that reason, because I do believe both of their hurts are very genuine. I just think there's a way to maintain your hurt, acknowledge that you're not fully ready to move on, yet also not make someone feel as though they are the worst person in the entire world, because she's not. She's someone who fucked up, but she, she's not evil. I just felt like they could have given her an inch in this moment. You know, yes. like I, I'm not saying that what Adriana said to them wasn't terrible and, you know, shouldn't maybe be the end of their friendship or allow them to distance themselves. Of course. But I didn't think this party and this conversation was the end all be all. They could have just said, like, I, I hear you or just acknowledge it a little bit. And they were giving nothing. And like, it just, I felt like they were making things worse and worse for Adriana. And had God passed the point where when Lisa's saying to them when they were all at her house, you know, we have so much history together. They don't even care about that anymore. And I think that they have just now taken it to a level where Adriana's the enemy and they will only view it that way from now on. And nothing that she says or anyone else says will change their mind about it. Right. But I guess my thing is like, by the way, that's okay. If you really have decided that you want to have absolutely no friendship with her, that's on you. You know, it's, it's sad, but like, it's that's fair. You can't tell someone how to engage with another person, especially if they feel that they're hurt. It was just in this moment, you know, when they're it was the finale episode. They're having this beautiful dinner. She's getting up there, putting all of her pride aside and really from the bottom of her heart expressing her regret. I agree with you. There could have just been an inch. Even if they turned right around and said, not ready to go there, not ready to have a relationship with you and we don't fully accept your apology, but thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. Even that I felt would have been something. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's, Maybe that's just us rooting for like a camaraderie dynamic that we just want to see because they both are really hurt. But I also think Marisol, like, yeah, she was hurt by the ex comment. It was a terrible comment, but she was really latching on for Alexia's sake. And that is when it started to feel like a gang up. Oh, totally. And, and by the way, wasn't it so interesting to see the way that Larsa was handling that situation prior to them coming? Larsa really was trying to get involved. But like I it was funny because in some ways I agreed with what she was saying and that clearly Adriana is feeling like a, a lacking of attention and she needs to be kind of lifted up and built up totally like clearly there was a lot of that at play. But the way in which she was going about it was just kind of interesting. I know her method of sort of dealing with stuff and just like yelling like you're not a victim. You're fun and sexy. Like, that's sort of her friendship style. No, but not even that. I'm saying in the process of her, you know, building her up, she's like, you are the most beautiful woman in the world. You know, you you are more gorgeous than Beyonce. And it's like, I totally understood what she was trying to do. Her heart was in the right place. I just think that it's very interesting when someone is in that role trying to build up another person a lot of times what happens is they say the very thing that would make them feel the best if someone said to them. And so it was almost kind of telling, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way. I just found it genuinely to be interesting. Like it was almost telling that that's clearly what Larsa thinks is the best compliment or the best thing that you can tell someone when they're hurting, you know, like her prioritization of vanity in that way. I did think that her instinct of like Adriana just feels really down and lonely and like no one's lifting her up was correct. But you're right. Like the commentary that she gave her 
in order to quote fix that was just so funny and honestly like I don't think was what Adriana was looking for although very flattering (laughs) well because if I'm Adriana I'm like I appreciate it like thank you but also I never said I didn't feel that I was hot you know it's like all the other shit that was actually the one area of her life that she seemed pretty good on you know (laughs) yeah like being hot was never the problem I loved when Alexia was like yeah I can't stand her but that song and I'm like okay at least (laughs) at least you're acknowledging that because that song is really catchy I will say when Alexia said that, I think that was almost exactly what Adriana was looking for. Like that glimmer of hope. And even when Adriana went up to Marisol and like hugged her and was trying to be silly and Marisol wasn't really taking it, but was trying not to laugh. And I think that she saw bits and pieces of hope in those moments. Yeah. And who knows how it's going to end up. I mean, the preview that we saw from the reunion, like it's not a good situation. No, but damn, I'm excited for that fucking reunion. What did you think about Nicole's therapy session with her dad? I thought it went really well. Their relationship is fascinating to witness. Yeah, I'm so grateful for her that she shows it to us in this way because it is really fascinating. I'm sure a lot of people can relate in all different ways. And I just love the way she handles things. I'll find the tweet and put it in the description. But someone tweeted, like, I think Nicole's one of the most emotionally intelligent housewives we've ever had. And I agree with that. No, I saw that. It was like, how is this person that has such social intelligence and like emotional awareness on a housewife? It doesn't normally happen in that way. No. And it's honestly so refreshing to see because she brings it in her own life, but also to these like group dynamics without being a know-it-all. I just thought this season was incredible, like really tens across the board. And when the finale ended, I was so sad. Like I really felt myself just longing for what I had just watched. And then I remembered we still have the reunion. And like, this isn't an average reunion. This reunion is going to be fucking amazing. I just know it. I just posted a tweet that really sums it up from I'm really a Libra. Wow. Real Housewives of Miami has taken my breath away. 16 weeks of fun, drama, comedy, and looks. I can't remember the last time I enjoyed an entire season like this. The entire season was a 10 for me and the reunion looks like it's going to be great. Could not agree more. Yeah. Could not agree more. Thank you, Miami. You really, you did the damn thing. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. 
So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. My number one takeaway from this week's Summer House, if I really had to sum it up, was just Danielle MVP in every situation. Yeah. And it's like, even looking back, it's hard to watch and we may not agree with her now. I just think the way she handles situations and even as Paige said, the way that she rides for her friends so hard and takes them on as her own problems is so admirable. But I never feel it's in a way that's blinding. Whereas I I understand if that could be maybe a criticism, but to me, I just feel like her approach to things is very humane, far more humane than you typically see on these shows. Especially because the content of what she was defending was so intense. It's not like Kyle made one sort of flippant comment about Carl that could have easily been let go. It was like really deep, intense, real shit that I think she felt like, how could she let this go? So, I mean, maybe sometimes she is ride or die to a fault and takes things on as her own, but this felt like it was in its own category. I also can't necessarily blame her for FaceTiming Carl and Lindsay the next morning. Would she have definitely done that if they weren't filming a show? I don't know. Maybe she would have waited specifically given that they were away this weekend, but I felt like it was a fair way for it to play out specifically because she waited till the next morning when she was totally sober and it was more of a reflection. Like I think that she felt uncomfortable having that information and not sharing it. Right. Again, like I just said, if it was something silly and she was just calling to like tattle on Kyle, it would be annoying. But I felt like this was actually realistic in that she was probably texting Lindsay and Carl the whole night. Like those are at this point, literally her best friends. And I just think like, what if you and I were in that scenario? You know, I wouldn't just be sitting on this info waiting for you to come back for the weekend. Maybe I wouldn't want to ruin your trip, but I would certainly be in contact like, holy shit, you're never going to believe it. And of course, a FaceTime is better for production. Well, a moment that I really want to discuss is after the tea party when they meet the guys out and you know everyone is pretty drunk and Danielle and Paige are having that conversation where they're talking about how Danielle at times can be maybe loyal to a fault. And Paige basically says, listen, I've known you for five years now and I don't think that Lindsay is the friend to you that you are to her. She was like, I believe that if Lindsay and Carl were sitting there and you were being talked about in the way that they were being talked about, they wouldn't come to your fence in the way that you had. Which who knows whether or not that's true, but I found it to be really interesting. Tell me what you think. 
Danielle's reaction to it. Like, yes, she was drunk. There was probably a million thoughts going through her head, but it wasn't as though she came at that with a strong sense of denial. It felt to me more like she was processing what Paige was saying and maybe deciding whether or not she thinks that could be true. Yeah, I think if she really, in her deepest gut, felt that that wasn't true, she would have fought back and said, yes, they would have. Like, she is not someone who's shy about that. And I think if she really, really felt it, she would express it. And maybe Paige saying that and bringing it up was almost, I don't know, pulling at something that she had already been thinking about and maybe was thinking, wow, I really went so hard for them. Would they go that hard for me? And to hear somebody else say it out loud so matter-of-factly too, I don't know. Her crying really caught me off guard because at first I was like, what is she so upset about? Like this really feels like a conversation and if it wasn't something she believed to be true, she would not be getting upset in that moment. I cannot explain to you how badly I am awaiting the footage of us to really see the progression of the deterioration of their friendship. Like we know where they're at currently in the episodes. We know where they're at current day and we're missing, let's say those, what, five episodes in the middle that get us there. Like it's it's so funny because most of the time when you know the outcome, it makes what you're watching maybe at times less enjoyable. Whereas this is one, I am anticipating it in such a serious way. Because I can't visualize what exactly is going to go down. It's going to be messy, but you know, I think it's hard because almost not like the Kyle and Carl friendship, but in that same vein, I don't think it's like one specific conversation that completely throws the friendship apart. I think it's a big shift and change in dynamics and not being able to see eye to eye and also just not being the same people that they were, both of them, but maybe specifically Lindsay, maybe Lindsay and Carl in this relationship. You know, a group of three is really hard and Carl, Lindsay, and Danielle are almost like a group of three best friends right now at this point Mm -hmm. is sort of how it feels. And of course, Carl and Lindsay are like ride or die obsessed with each other, always going to take each other's sides. Of course, that's really hard. That's like a very difficult dynamic. So I am curious to see how these conversations go down and almost watching (laughs) like Lisa Hochstein as she was listening to her mother-in-law as their wheels are turning like, oh, things are different. We are not the same people and have the same relationship that I thought we did. Did you just mention Marina in the middle of the summer house section? (laughs) You are a wild one. (laughs) Marina is Lindsay and Carl and Lisa (laughs) Hochstein is Danielle. That's niche. I know. I love when my worlds crossover. The other thing I wanted to mention, just going back to the conversation between Paige and Danielle, is you know a lot of people are citing this potentially as the start of the downfall of Danielle and Lindsay's relationship. And I see a lot of takes of people saying, you know, this is exactly what Paige was going for. She knew what she was doing here. And I guess my stance on it is like, listen, if you were to ask Amanda, Sierra, and Paige, most honest, you know, put them to a lie detector. Is there a part of you that's happy that Danielle and Lindsay had this falling out and maybe you now have Danielle on, quote, your side? Totally yes. Maybe they won't admit it, but I certainly think that that's a factor. However, you can't make someone do anything. Like, there is no world in which Paige or even Paige, Amanda, and Sierra all together riling her up is going to convince Danielle of something that she on some level doesn't believe. How are we going to discredit Danielle and her character like that? If we're the same people saying that, you know, Part of her charm is how strongly she sticks to what she believes in. You think one conversation with Paige is going to turn her? No way. Clearly, some of these were possibly feelings brewing inside. Yeah, I, no question in my mind. As soon as I saw her getting upset, I was like, okay, this is not 
what we think it is and there's a lot going on under the surface. Like if we didn't know the outcome, we would be speculating so hardcore right now of like what the hell is going on. Oh, Beyonce. I I still am speculating. I know. Me too. I can't wait to see, honestly. It's like so sad, but I just need answers at this point because it's been teased and almost like we've been thinking about it, awaiting the answer since – since BravoCon, really, or before BravoCon. Honestly, since last summer, I guess. Yeah. The, the other thing that I'll say is typically I fucking love a girls-only show, like clearly inject every single Housewives franchise into my veins. However, I think Summer House is really a show that benefits from a lot of different types of energy in the house. And like, we just need more men. I, I hate to say it, but we do. We do, but I think that goes back to our conversation earlier about just the overall dynamics of the show and it being about following these specific people versus having a summer house hookup storyline with all these like singles and people partying. You know, like do we meet these characters where they are to follow their storylines or are we married to the idea of this young, fun, out of control group of people and who's going to hook up this weekend? I think both can exist, but not in the same show. Exactly. That is, wow, that was such a satisfying thing to hear because that is exactly kind of how I'm feeling. And honestly, and it changes week to week because like, give me that Danielle and Lindsay storyline. I want to see every single piece of it, which would totally fall under the category of like following these specific people. At the same time, I can't lie to you. I like when there's a lot of young energy in a house and you're seeing the different hookups and it feels more playful and and flirtatious. Like, I also think that's fun. Maybe that's a different show. Maybe that's this show reimagined. I, I don't know, but I agree with you. Trying to merge the two and they are so clearly not mergeable is a little bit of a roadblock in terms of a 10 show. So maybe we need Summer House Legacy and then Summer House in season. <laughs> no. Us, uh, Bravo teasing Legacy really got us a little spoiled there. Like the second we're not into a plot, it's like, oh, just throw them on Legacy. <laughs> we just want yeah. every show to have Legacy. Yeah, because it's true. I am. I'd be lying to you if I said that I wasn't super invested in the state of Carl and Kyle's relationship. This is a very long-standing friendship and bond. I always go back to the fact that Carl officiated the wedding. I mean, I think that's one of the greatest honors you could bestow upon another human being, and a you know a part of you that's going to be bonded forever. But like, clearly, there's some serious shit here. When I think about that while I'm watching this, it really hurts. Like, it's so sad. But that is just like the cherry on top. I don't know why, because I wouldn't say that either of them was doing anything overly cringy, but that scene or the multiple scenes between Sam and her boxing trainer was giving me like such secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. It's like when you have anxiety the next day because you're like, oh God, what did I say? Was I being weird? Was I being flirty? But it's being fucking recorded. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think that that's like maybe one of my worst nightmares, like to wake up the next morning in bed with a guy where it didn't go in the way that you maybe expected it. And then that morning interaction when you first open your eyes is filmed. Like that is the exact type of interaction you never want to have to relive if it didn't go as planned. Yeah. You want to like crawl out of your skin already in the moment and disappear. So having it live on in infamy forever for all the whole world to see is like, it really takes a special kind of person. Yeah. I also, just going back to Danielle, I really appreciated the way that she like actively and intentionally tried to make Chris feel included, which I have, I have no loyalty to Chris. I mean, he's a, he's a fine guy. He's, so far, it's been a very you know standard performance. But like, <laughs> I do think it's a little weird for him. Here he is. He's the only other guy in the house at the moment. He's very much in Kyle's footsteps and following along. And like, here's Danielle giving him a little bit of that, I would say, welcoming energy. 
It's a very awkward position. Like, they should have let him bring a friend. I don't know. They keep bringing all these people in and out each weekend. Like, I don't know them. They're not a cast member. So I feel bad. He's really stuck on an island by himself. <laughs> what I want to say to him is like, I got news for you, kid. <laughs> Carl coming, that's not going to make your situation any better. Cause, right. You know what I mean? Like, like, don't be counting down the minutes because it's not anything <laughs> special coming your way. But you want to know something that is special coming all of our ways? You know what I'm going to say? What? Andrea. Talk about a breath of motherfucking fresh air. Seeing him in that preview made me so happy. Like I was elated. I was like, honey, we're home. I felt so like safe and happy. Yes. I felt so safe. That's what it was. Like, why do I feel like that? Because he's going to bring everyone coffee in the morning and just be a little cutie. I don't know. I'm, I'm just happy. I love a familiar face and I think he will really bring a great energy to the group and also just a little fun. I think the other reason that we like Andrea is kind of similar probably to the reason that we like Danielle, which is it's refreshing to have someone that is for the most part pretty neutral among the group, meaning like everyone generally respects them and likes them even if they have their little issues. And so I I think I welcome that presence from Andrea. Yeah, it's needed for sure. Also, the way this episode ends, the conversation between Danielle and Kyle, that was very necessary. Like Going into the next weekend, leaving all that unfinished would not have served either one of them well, even though both of them were hellbent on not discussing it. It was totally the right call to do so. Yeah, they had to get to neutral ground. And also, I think it was very important, not just for Kyle, but also for Danielle to hear that Kyle actually acknowledged and felt how difficult of a position this was and that he didn't know how to handle it and clearly wasn't handling it well, which, look, he went about it in all the wrong ways and made a complete fucking fool of himself. But I think we can all agree and maybe empathize a little bit that he is in an extremely difficult situation. He handled it pretty much as poorly as you possibly can, but at least him acknowledging that and being like, I'm kind of stuck and lost and like, maybe I need help and I'm taking it out in all the wrong ways. And like, this is turning my life upside down. I think was sort of what Danielle needed to hear. It was also kind of his way of being like, I I'm just I'm I'm lost here and I I'm I don't know how to even handle my own emotions. Right, but like even in that conversation and again I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here but even in the conversation when he's trying to apologize and wrong his rights he still brings up to her which yes it's someone that he feels safe with well sometimes I think like maybe I should just fire Carl. I'm sorry. I know that they're filming a show. I understand that there's a real mix between business and pleasure and friendship. I don't believe that you can say that as the CEO and have Carl then watch that and feel that it's totally kosher. I I just how listen, I, I it's a very mixed group totally, but you could say or communicate a similar sentiment without saying that because what a strange position to put Danielle in. Like this is Carl and Lindsay's number one best friend and you are saying as partially like a justification for your behavior, you know, I really do think sometimes it may be easier to just fire him. Like what the fuck is she supposed to do with that? I mean, I guess since she texted him like I'm done, he felt like he had already told him, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just weird, but I guess he also feels the way we feel that even when he's at odds with Danielle, she is an amazing sounding board and super level-headed. And I think honestly, it was like a cry for help of like, what the fuck do I do? And even though she's so pissed, it, he, I don't know, maybe felt some comfort in sitting down and talking to her and like getting it off his chest. I re- I don't know. I think it's, it's terrible all around. And honestly, it puts Danielle in a terrible position. Like, what do they expect? 
She's not going to go report back to her friends all these crazy things that he's telling her and these like life altering decisions that are being made almost with her. Like now he's put her in this situation where it's a conversation about Carl's employment. No, but that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, yes, of course I have empathy for Kyle, but if you really want to break it down, to me, that was a pretty selfish move, especially given that the root of your fight with Danielle was her feeling as though she couldn't hear you talking about Carl in this way without intervening and then kind of reporting back to him. So like in the process of venting your emotions, you're putting someone in a very compromising spot. I, I don't know. I think that Kyle has a lot of stuff that he has to handle and that's totally fine, but the way and the people in which he chooses to do it with is something that could maybe be looked at. And like, by the way, that's coming from the perspective of someone who's like, not the biggest fan of Carl and Lindsay, if I'm really going to call it like it is, you know, but like, just because I don't love them, I also don't think the way he's handling it is cool. Cause I, it's not like, I'd be really pissed. I would watch that as Carl and I'd be really pissed. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how this all plays out. Yes. We will see next week, especially cause of the preview, they were on their Marisol shit. Oh my God. Forget about it. <laughs> Not us constantly slipping into my dad's accent. Oh my God, you guys. It's like, it's honestly an illness at this point. I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get into Potomac Reunion Part 2. Yeah, let's get into it. I mean, a lot going on here. Totally different vibe than Part 1, but everyone on Twitter is saying this, and I'm going to have to agree. Andy fucking clocked into work. He was like, I am not just going to read these Twitter questions. I am getting myself involved. Well, yeah, because I I also felt in this one, he was kind of on the right side of history a little bit. Like, you know, specifically, for example, in the conversation with Giselle, which, of course, like, I totally understand why that would be so emotional and painful to talk about. Absolutely. And I'm not in the business of like putting people in uncomfortable positions at the same time, this is a real thing going on in your life. You talked about it to an extent on camera. It's totally fair that it's brought up at the reunion just in the way that other people's traumas are. And so when she said, you know, we'll talk about it later. And he was like, no, like, let's talk about it now. I think that if you're Candace or Mia or Wendy or someone else who has really had to disclose a lot of their personal shit, you're happy in that moment that he kind of pressed Giselle. Absolutely. And I think it's honestly necessary. And That just made me think, like, there are so many moments, I think specifically in this part when Robin was like, it's a show, like, we put our whole lives on camera. It made me so aware of now knowing what we know, how how could she say all these things? Like, it it must be so embarrassing for her now. Oh, my God. Did you see that people were posting this photo? I don't know if it's from now. I don't know if it's just the people talking, but – that Juan was allegedly seen like out at a laundromat with another woman. Wait, what? No, send that to me right now. Oh my God. This was this was around town. It was like someone took a sneaky picture of him at a laundromat. Let's see. Juan laundromat. <laughs> Never thought I'd search Juan laundromat on Twitter. <laughs> I was gonna say. Honestly, no, our search histories are so fucking funny because it is the most specific like Bravo <laughs> keywords. No, no, no. Like if someone ever took my phone, I would be mortified. Forget about it. Okay, someone tweeted, um, a girl in one of my other group chats caught Juan at the laundry mouth. Another lady last night. Apparently they were hugging up on each other and he was behind her with his arms around her when loading the machines with their personal belongings. <laughs> Not while they were loading their machines. <laughs> Not throwing in a Tide Pod and a little booty grab. 
someone else wrote, spotted hugging arms around each other in a laundromat last Monday when CSU played NSU in VA. This woman is the director of athletics at CSU. Do you have the photo? Yeah, I'm about to send it to you right now. And if you're listening to this, click on the description. Send that shit to me right the fuck now. Oh, baby. That's Lon Dixon if I've ever seen him before. I was going to say, this is not a Karen Huger blue eye situation. Like, I don't know what was going on, but this is confirmed Juan Dixon. Yeah, well, that was just a little anecdote. Obviously, I mean, we know what we know, but I feel bad for Robin, honestly. I feel bad for Robin, too, because I can't fully tell, which, like, what kind of barometer is that if whether or not we can tell who the fuck are we? But if if she wants to stay in this with him because she loves him and she truly feels as though this is the love of her life, or she wants to stay in it because at this point it's just easier and also there would be so many people she would be proving right if she were to leave, which like is never the reason to say, I'm not saying that is her reason. I'm just saying I can't fully tell, you know? I know. I think there's a lot going on. There's history. There's the kids. There's feeling stuck. There's the public scrutiny. There's her family. Like it's, it's not an easy situation, but yeah, that's my little Robin tangent. Anyway, (laughs) back to the reunion. That Mia Wendy conversation when Mia throws out Wendy sleeping with Peter Thomas at bar one that she saw in the security camera footage that holy shit out of left field no i was really intrigued by wendy's reaction when they were talking about the fight between her and mia because her vibe throughout the whole season was that it sort of didn't bother her that much and like that was sort of the reaction i was expecting to carry into the reunion but i think after she like really sat with it and reflected and honestly i think after seeing it on the show you know getting to almost relive it for the second time You can see how deeply it really impacted her. And I think this led to a really different conversation than I was expecting to go down when it came to this altercation. Yes. And I don't just think it was Mia specific. I think it was what went down with Mia and then also how unsupported she felt by the majority of the women after the fact. And then towards the end, when someone made the comment of like, wait a second, I thought towards the end you guys were bumping vaginas or something. You know, (laughs) Wendy Wendy kind of laughs it off and is like, oh, please, we were all showing each other our vaginas that night, which – we will get to on part three, but it just goes to show you that not only was the apology that night in, in Mia's room, you know, not as deeply heartfelt as maybe it appeared at the time, but also whatever went down that night, like, yeah, maybe it was fun, but by no means does it like erase or take away from really how upset she was previously. I think this is just an instance where watching the show and the footage is validating, but sometimes validating not in a good way. Like this, I think was probably validating to her that she wasn't being supportive and that the women were saying even worse things that she didn't hear them say because she walked away or whatever. Like it maybe brought back feelings, but also gave her new feelings about how this went down. And like, I don't know, it's like sometimes great to have footage, but also in moments like this, yes, it does give her proof that they were being awful, but that can't be easy to sit back and watch to learn that an experience that you already have a terrible memory of was even worse than you thought. Yes, exactly. And I think that that was really clear for her, which is one of the reasons that I think she felt so appreciative of both Candace and Ashley and honestly, Karen. Yeah, for sure. The other part of this reunion was the discussion on colorism. And I guess as the viewer, I really appreciated being given that behind the scene context of 
kind of Bravo's thought process going into it, how they were going to set it up, you know, the producers calling each one of the women individually and seeing their takes on it, their ideal way to handle it. Andy basically saying, this is not my conversation to have and taking a step back and then having Candace, you know, just so thoughtfully and powerfully leading this conversation. And I appreciated all of the women speaking about it in the way that they did, because I mean, for, for me, I, I honestly found it to be really informative and I felt fortunate that we were able to, to witness this conversation happening in a way that you could tell was so authentic. No, totally. And also there is so much conversation and chatter about this topic online, about them putting thoughts and feelings maybe into their mouths that they've never said or expressed themselves. So it was important for them to like have a space to take the narrative back and give their actual thoughts and have a discussion on the matter while everyone's been talking about it for them. And also that moment when Ashley acknowledged her privilege in all of this and kind of clarified her stance on it. And he saw Candace get really emotional. All the other shit we talk about with Candace and Ashley is like bullshit, comparatively speaking to that. Because you could tell when Candace said, I really appreciate that, she really appreciated that. And like that was such a moment where everything else aside, show aside, you know, Chris Bassett and Michael Darby aside, like, no, that was two women who were connecting solely from their hearts. And that's powerful. Yeah, that was a really powerful moment. Then towards the end, you know, Jacqueline coming out, which obviously we'll get into more next week, but this is like, this is some deep shit. They're never even going to begin to cover any sort of ground because this is years of 1 million different fights and situations and like family dynamics and history like it's almost a waste of our time at this point because in order to get the full story we need hours and hours of context so I just feel like it's almost going to be sadder and worse because it will be minimized into these couple of minutes that Jacqueline has to really tell her side of the story and like break it down in such a quick way that it doesn't do it justice but the whole thing is really sad, truly, and I just – I feel like it's going to be messy as hell. The clearest explanation we've gotten thus far of like the inception of all of this, whether or not it's really the case, is when Mia says, you know, I felt like I had so much going on in my life that when she then came into the show in this way, I felt overwhelmed by kind of having to like watch out for her, which you saw Jacqueline had a really strong response to because she didn't see it in that way at all. But like Mia saying that, whether or not it aligns with like your belief on how it went down, it at least gives you a window into how she's viewing all of this. And like kind of what she was saying, I think in a lot of ways is that she felt a little bit burdened by Jacqueline. And clearly not only does Jacqueline take that personally, but she also felt that way. Like what we talked about, you know, a few weeks ago and like, I fully believe that Jacqueline was anticipating coming into this and feeling very welcomed and supported by Mia in this journey, given that it was, I have to imagine like a mutual decision for her to be integrated into the show. So then when all of a sudden the person who almost like gave you their blessing to do that is then frustrated and burdened and overwhelmed by your presence for various reasons, like that's a pretty disorienting feeling. Yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of rewriting history here. It's not like a Melissa Teresa situation where Melissa just joined the show behind Teresa's back and all of a sudden they showed up and they were both housewives and it was like, oh God, that's not going to be great. It was Jacqueline coming on as Mia's friend of, coming on to be her like supporter, you know, join her on the trips, whatever. And it just happened to be at a time period and also the shit went down that made it go south. So 
I don't know. Mia's like definitely rewriting history, and I feel like we'll get into that next week. But yeah, I mean, we got we got some good things. It was a good connecting middle part of a reunion, and I hope it ends as strong as it's been going this whole time. It it was a part two. Like yeah, when there are three parts of a reunion. The part two is pretty much always going to do exactly what this reunion did, and I'm never mad at that because I know that it's role. It's an important connecting role. Yeah, absolutely. It's not going to be the part one, and it's not going to be the finisher. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because... You just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. I had a good feeling about these New Jersey girls, but this episode really showed me like they're showing up for work. This was a solid casting choice all around. They are absolutely killing it. I'm so interested in them in a way that I haven't really felt about new girls, I guess besides Miami, in a really long time. Yeah, and also it feels like a pretty seamless and natural integration. You know, like they did have relationships with at least some of the women, even peripherally beforehand. Like the connection with Rachel and Brittany in the bikini competition, that makes a lot of sense. All of it just makes sense. Yeah, and I feel like they actually have genuine connections with these people and It's not just, oh, I knew so-and-so for five minutes before. No, they really do have loyalty to people. So like when Jen Aiden was coming in and trying to mess with those connections and relationships, it actually felt like I cared and it was so silly that she was doing it versus like, oh, someone just brought them into the group for knowing them for one minute. Yeah. 
Also, and I know this is next week, not this week, because we end this episode with a preview for next week with Jen and Margaret just screaming at each other. I 100% of the time would rather watch a Jen Margaret showdown than a Melissa Teresa showdown. Oh my God, 100 times out of 10, because of course they're not family. So that element gets out the window where you feel this like guilt and I feel like I'm watching over them for Joe and Teresa's parents, like all of that gone. And also they're worthy opponents. They fight in a similar way. They know how to push each other's buttons and it's just always a good watch. Jennifer was on one at this housewarming. Oh my God. I mean, everyone was coming at her for good reason because of like what she did because she went and went out and was seeking, I guess, these sort of confrontations and shit talking, but she was not holding back. I mean, she was throwing everything out there. Bringing up the nose job again was savage. Oh, that was a wild one, right? It was like the battle of the nose jobs. I I could not believe that. I know. I mean, also though, it was important to me that this episode had her dinner with Bill and then this housewarming situation together because to me, it's giving a lot of insight into maybe why she's acting the way that she's acting. Like she's not feeling validated at home, you know? And you can tell, I'm not saying that it's an excuse, but it's seeping outwards a little bit. It totally is. And I I understood her frustration. Like, why am I fighting with my husband now with a fight that has nothing to do with us? You know, they got plenty of their own issues without it. Yeah. I just think it all is totally, totally connected. I also thought what was interesting in terms of her going at it with the women at the housewarming, it's like the way in which it went down, meaning it wasn't so much he said, she said, maybe initially, but then they kind of all arrived on the same page about what was going on. Because after Teresa challenges Rachel of saying, you know, Jen isn't like that. She wouldn't try to make you choose sides. And Rachel said, no, that's not what she did. And that's not why I was uncomfortable. And then she outlines it more clearly. At least you felt like they were all operating from the same information. Whereas half the time, specifically when it comes to Teresa and Melissa, you feel like, how can we ever reach a resolve? Or how can we even talk about this even remotely intelligently? Because you're operating with two different sets of facts. Whereas they actually landed on like, yeah, I did say that. And here's why you didn't like it. I feel like it's the opposite of how Teresa fights. Like, this was an example of fight smarter, not harder. Like, Mm -hmm. don't just get louder. Don't just go as below the belt as you possibly can. Lay out the facts. Get everybody set straight on the same page. Give them your side. That is usually much more effective if they're willing to listen. Yeah, just, you know, are they willing to listen? I don't know. (laughs) Not really, but... Also, Jackie and uh, Danielle, talk about the least, not even fairly matched opponents, but just like opposites. Yeah. I mean, when she's like, don't put your hand in my face. She's like, I'm from Staten Island. You would know. Oh, my God. The dirty hamper shorts conversation. It's funny because I heard Danielle go up to everyone else and be like, you don't want to know where I got them. Do you think she got them at Envy? (gasps) Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, because she was like, I'm not even going to say where I got those shorts from because like Jackie – and I love also Jackie just owning like, yeah, maybe I am a little bit of a snob. I totally was judging her outfit. She she dresses terribly. That's what I was going to say. I appreciated when Margaret said that to her and she didn't just like get all riled up. You know, that's the stuff that makes it more authentic. No, Jackie's like giving a lot, probably more in this first couple episodes than she did in last season maybe, you know, in terms of like fighting and these gossip with the women. I think that sometimes what technically would be called a demotion to friend of can actually be super positive for someone's image. I I agree. I think this is like a great 
transition role, you know, and maybe she will be back full time. But sometimes you just have to follow the way that the friend group and the storyline is going and not just try to fit someone where they don't belong. But also because it takes the pressure off for you to have your own individual issues with everyone. And I think Jackie, you know, she's good backup. She's a good commentator, but maybe she doesn't want to be the one that's like fighting the main battles. Right. It's, It's a lot of pressure. Jen Fessler's a good addition. I'm obsessed with her. Right? Like so good. Yeah. So good, funny commentator, has amazing insight, and I'm loving her so far. And doesn't want to share a margarita pizza, which I really appreciate. Oh my God, that's our kind of girl. It's a really true lesson to learn. If you're at dinner with someone and they ask you to share something, it's not rude to just politely say, you know, I'd rather not. Because you will then resent them. Like if you're looking at this pizza and you've only getting two slices when you really wanted four, you're then going to be pissed. Whereas if you just politely say, it's not really my thing. I've always felt that way. And it is so great to watch someone do that on Housewives. Or you just look at the waiter and you're like, we'll have two margarita pizzas. Right. Like, you know what? Let me let me take the guesswork out of it for you. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. And I think it sums up a lot of her personality. What'd you think about the phone call between Teresa and Joe? So painful. Like so, so painfully awkward, forced. I, I mean, this is when I just like – I literally don't know how to feel about Louie because he leaves the dinner where they're screaming and fighting at each other. But then when Teresa and Joe are on the phone, he's like, this hurts my heart. He's telling – you know, writing on the notepad like, let's make peace. So I just don't know where he lands in all of this. And I do think overall it's net positive having him around. And I do think he's a great partner for Teresa. And honestly, I like him more and more. But then these red flags sometimes pop up and they're just not ones I can ignore. I don't think it's on him to repair the relationship. And I do think it's hard because he wasn't around for a lot of the stuff that they have issues with. And he doesn't know the history is he can hear it and he hears it just from Teresa, but he didn't live it. And I think that they are all very aware of that, even Teresa. Right. Which like, I guess in his defense, it's kind of a hard spot to be in because you're now inserted, but you fully acknowledge you weren't there for the history, you know? And it's like, how, how do you play the role that not only you want to play, but your wife wants you to play without having so much lived context? Like, yeah, it's kind of a weird spot. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait, the other thing, holy shit. I cannot believe we didn't start with this. The conversation between Melissa, Gia, and Gabriella. Oh my God. I was going to cry. And then Melissa literally went to the bathroom and cried. That is the prime example of like, you can say so much with just your eyes because Gia and Gabriella practically said nothing, but you could tell exactly what they were thinking. Yep. Totally. It was so representative of just what that relationship has turned into. Like there's no connection there at all. And just how formal it became, like I thought, I guess in my mind that, yeah, even though there were all these issues, the kids were seeing each other kind of. Melissa was totally normal with the kids, but the kids are older now, so they are really part of the equation. And when Melissa was like, it was so good to see you guys, like as if it was just an acquaintance at a party, I was like, oh, wow, we are really, we're really in the trenches here. By the way, like the more that I really think about it, I fully understand why Teresa and the girls were so pissed about the putting food on the table comment. I knew what they meant. And even if technically it's true, my final stance on it, I think, is like that was in poor taste. And I listened to that full podcast episode. So I I know the context of the conversation. That was shitty. It was unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even Melissa was trying to defend it this week by saying, 
you know, we did the show so that they could make money and they needed other people to be cast in the show, which equals food on the table. Like it does, but it made it seem like they were responsible for all of it. And no, like they could have just said, you know, we wanted to help out the family. We realized what we could do and our place in this and how we could be helpful. So we did it. The food on the table just has a whole different underlying meaning. And I really understand why they felt like that diminished so much of what their own parents did and what other people did. And also like how big of a role Joe and Melissa necessarily played in that time. Right. But also like, even if everything that they're saying is totally accurate and the reason that Joe Judice was able to pay the bills while Teresa was away was because of their willingness to film with him. I still think it's the type of thing you don't necessarily need to outline. Like you, don't, if if you really did that from a good place, you don't need praise for it. And I understand we've gotten past that because there's so many shots being fired that everyone is just throwing everything out there to defend themselves. But those are the okay prime example, prime fucking example of what we say of like. I don't think Joe and Melissa are bad people, but I think the fame has gotten to their heads a little bit and I think they've gotten swept up in it slightly. That's an example of that because if they heard someone else say that a few years ago, I think they would have been really disgusted by it. Yeah, and they want the credit and they want people to feel bad for them and feel from their perspective why they think you know, this fight shouldn't be going on and how supportive and how great a family, like they want to add every single possible bullet to the list of why they have been such good family to Teresa and why it's so shitty that she can't be that in return. They just want more points on their side and they care a lot about their perception of the public and the public's opinion that things that should be sacred or shouldn't be said because they could maybe be hurtful to the nieces. They don't care because they're prioritizing what everyone else and whose side everyone's taking like on a watch what happens live poll. Yeah. They've gotten, I think a little bit too wrapped up in the celebrity of it all. I I do. Yeah, I do too. It's sad. It's, it's sad to watch. It is really sad. This was a a better episode. Like I was really, I told you I was feeling nervous about Jersey, but we're getting there more now. No, I really enjoyed this episode. Also, because we're getting to know the new women. It, it's shaping up to be a better season. Yes, the Teresa Melissa stuff is still a plot and it's very like heavy and draining and we know where this goes, but I'm enjoying the ride a little bit more now and it's not the only thing that we have going on. No, no, no. There's other stuff happening, which I can appreciate. Yeah. Anything else that you would like to mention about anything? I think I think that's it. The Ultimate Girls Trip trailer dropped, which was incredible, right after we recorded last week. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for that. Just something else to look forward to. Yeah. Okay. Well, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring in the way that we do. Thank you for letting us do this. And we'll see you next week. Let's talk about baby making for a second because... It's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. 
And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find free to fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.